0: Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. I love Christmas. We love Christmas. Our family does. And everything that comes with it. But truthfully, like Dylan was talking about, it, you can get caught up in all the traditions, which are awesome. There's nothing wrong with traditions. In fact, I, I love the traditions we have. But we just got to make sure that in the process of celebrating Christmas, we don't forget the one that we're celebrating, and it doesn't become more about other things than the one thing, than the main thing, than the only thing. Um, so open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter one, go down to verse eighteen, and um, I, yeah, with dealing with Sharon, I I never heard this stuff preached. In fact, you, you don't hear a whole lot about Joseph um, at Christmas time. You hear a lot about Mary, um, and rightly so, but. As I was reading the Christmas message this year, the Christmas story, I, I was struck by, by Joseph, and I uh, and, and wanted to just talk about some of those things, and then we're going to celebrate with communion. But um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. When he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what is spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph woke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's alive. I thank you that as we read from it today, as we speak from it, Spirit of God, that you would open our ears to hear, that our minds would be able to comprehend the things of the Spirit, and that our hearts would be good soil. God, that, that a, a world that doesn't know you, Father, a world that, that lies in darkness in sin and error, not knowing the worth of their soul, God, would taste and see the fruit of our lives and know that you're good. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, That line always, always stands out to me and always grabs me, but this year, for some reason more than ever, that line just has been destroying me as I think about it. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. And you don't know your worth until you see what someone is willing to pay. And it's like the world was worthless and stuck in sin and error. You know, it says that we were slaves to sin. Like literally, your natural instinct was to sin, and you were a slave to it. And, and, and you knew no, no other way. There was no way to be free. And there was these rumors of this king that was going to come. And he was going to set people free. And they were enslaved by Rome. So physically they were enslaved once again. And they just were stuck. And then he appeared. And the soul suddenly realized what it was worth. Because when you see what someone's willing to pay, you understand the value of something. And you see this little baby laying in a manger and you realize... God at one point in your life, like not for everybody, yes for everybody, but in your individual life at some point, God looked down and thought that your life was worth that life. And he would exchange that for a chance at that. Even knowing there would be those who would reject him. Even knowing that people were going to abuse him, spit on him, torture him ultimately kill him hang him on a cross he looks down and he looks at that little baby in a manger and he looks at your life and here's the thing he doesn't look at the good part of your life he doesn't look at the part of your life that you would present to everybody if you were putting a, a post up on facebook He doesn't take your highlight reel from Instagram and say that's who you... No, he sees the very worst moment of your life, the one that you are thankful that nobody will ever know and that you thank him every day that it is gone as if it never happened, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? It's that thing that you're like, God, I thank you that you said my sin is far removed from me as the east is from the west, that you will never bring it back up, that you are, are the Lord who will forgive my sins and remember it no more. That thing, he sees you in that moment. And, and that's not, that doesn't stop him from wanting to send his son. It's actually the reason he sends his son is because he sees you and he can't bear to see you that way. And he wants you to be free. And he says, I'll send my son. And the crazy thing about it is, is think about this, the way God thinks. It says, and when the fullness of time came, God sent his son. The fullness of time. Think about what happened when he was born. On one hand, you had John who had to be born first because he's the first, the, the forebearer. He's the one who would come first. And so you have John's mother, Elizabeth, who is a woman so old, she's no longer even praying to have children. This is a woman who spent her life praying for a child, her and her husband, Zechariah. And now she's gotten to the age, she's been married, she's done everything in the natural that's required to have a baby. And she's now reached an age where she's no longer capable of even having a child, and they're not even praying for a child anymore. When the angel appears to Zechariah, he says, the prayer you no longer prayed has been answered. In other words, the dream that you gave up on, the thing that you thought you were too old, the thing that in the natural was too far past, that thing is being answered today. That's one end of the spectrum, is a woman who's done everything in the natural, never had a child, and is now too old to have children. On the other end of the spectrum, you have this teenage girl who's never been with a man, who's not even married, who's never prayed for a child at that point, I would imagine. like Nobody's praying when they're, engaged that they become pregnant you know you're not you're not sitting there going oh god would you just come and let me be pregnant with your child right now it's not happening it's not entering into the mind of a young girl and she doesn't want to be pregnant because she's not married yet and in those days it was a big deal for someone to become pregnant that wasn't married and so so she's not praying for a child She's not wanting to be pregnant in that moment, and she hasn't done what's necessary to be pregnant. This woman wanted to be pregnant, has done everything necessary, has never got pregnant, and is now past the age of having, having a child. And God looks at these two situations and says, now is the time for, the, for this child to come and that child to come. This is the fullness of time. He's not like us. He's not like us. He, he doesn't do things the way we would do them. I think that's why so many people missed it when Jesus came, because he didn't come the way that they expected that he would come. They wanted him to come riding in on a horse and save the day. Instead, he's born in a place where horses eat and do what horses do after horses eat. It's messy. It smells. It's not glamorous. We've got this idea of, of the glamour, and if we're not careful, I think we'll project this idea of Christianity and, the, and, and this glamorous thing to it. That I, There are glamorous moments. Jesus had some glamorous moments, but in between the glamorous moments, there's a lot of being in dirt and in filth and doing things that nobody is praising you for and nobody even sees and wondering why you're doing them when you don't see the fruit of your, your actions right away. But you keep doing them. Why? Because you want to be obedient to what God's called you to. And I was reading this story, and what stuck out to me over and over again was Joseph receiving revelation and the obedience that he walked in. So, so stop for a second and like forget that you've already read the Christmas story 1,500 times. And put yourself in Joseph's shoes just for a second. He hasn't read the New Testament. He hasn't read Luke's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, Mark's. He hasn't read John three sixteen. He doesn't know any of this stuff. All he knows is that there's this rumor and there's these prophecies that one day a savior would be born to a virgin. He knows this. He was growing up in a Jewish home. He would have heard the prophecy of Isaiah. That's all he knows. He knows that he's engaged and he knows that he's never been with this girl. So in those days, you would get engaged and then she would go back to her parents' house and you would go off and you would build the home that you and your wife would live in. It was about a year time and you wouldn't be with each other until the home was ready, and then you would go and get your bride, you would have your marriage, and then you would consummate the marriage in the home that you built or in the home that they had prepared. And so he, he's engaged to her, betrothed to her, and he heads off, and she takes off on a trip. Now remember, you don't know the whole story. You're Joseph. She goes off and hangs out with her cousin. She comes back, And she's pregnant. And you know it's not yours. And she tells you, I didn't do anything. He did it. See, we have this grid because we read Bible stories. Like when we hear of a donkey talking, it makes sense to us because we read the story of Balaam. And so if someone says something about a donkey talking, because we have a reference point for that, it's not as shocking to us as the fact that a donkey spoke. Like a donkey spoke Hebrew. It didn't just go like, and him be like, I think he said. No, it like opened its mouth and fluently spoke Hebrew, but we've heard that story so many times that it doesn't even like, it doesn't affect us the way that it maybe should or could. And, and, and we've heard this story so many times that we have a hard time realizing in this moment, Joseph has a decision to make because Joseph is about to not only see Mary be the object of ridicule and scorn, but he's about to be the object of ridicule and scorn. Because in those days, if a girl became pregnant before she was married, she was definitely looked down upon, but also so was the man. And one plus one usually equals two. So you guys are engaged. She's pregnant. She's pregnant. You're an adulterer. You've done what you're not supposed to do and touched what you're not supposed to touch before the time. So you guys understand this. Like Joseph is about to be ridiculed and scorned, just like Mary. He's about to be looked at weird. He's about to be falsely accused and slandered of doing something, and he can't stand in front of people and say, it wasn't me, it was God. And so it says, when we read what happens, it says that Joseph... He was a righteous man, and so he, not wanting to disgrace her, you realize it was well within his right to defend himself, to drag her in front of the town and publicly accuse her under the law of Moses and have her stoned to clear his own name. At her expense, he could have cleared his own name by bringing her in front of everybody and saying, Listen to me, she's crazy, she's pregnant. And I swear, as God is my witness, I've never touched her. I've never been with her. So it wasn't me. It was another man. That's not my child. And she is guilty. And had her stoned. And every bit of whispering and every rumor and every stare and every weird look, every accusation would have gone away. And he could have stood there vindicated at Mary's expense. And you think about like the fact that God chose Mary and we, we talk about, you know, what, how amazing that is. But I think God knew what he was doing when he chose Joseph. He's a pretty amazing man. Because he decides, I don't want to do that. I'm going to quietly put her away so that she can go off and have the baby and her and her family can deal with this. I'm not going to cause her to be punished. I don't want to see her killed and I don't want to see her life destroyed. And that's the righteous thing to do. That's the righteous thing to do. That's the thing, like sometimes, you know, we we, we do things and we feel like we deserve a gold star because I could have done this, but instead I did that. God's standard is so much higher than the earthly reasoning standard because that night, as he settles that in his heart and he goes to sleep and all of a sudden he has this dream and in this dream, An angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. You realize most of the time when God's calling us to do something, the reason we don't want to do it isn't because we're evil people, it's because we're afraid. It's not because we're evil people most of the time. It's not because we want to be willfully rebellious. It's usually we're thinking of ourselves. We're being selfish, and because we're selfish, there's fear. Because we're more concerned about ourselves and how we're going to look or our name or what's going to happen or what people might think than we are with being obedient to what God's called us to. And so the angel comes and addresses to Joseph the reason he doesn't want to take Mary, and it's fear. Think about this. Okay, so think about the two scenarios. One, what if Mary's lying? Joseph had to consider this, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure he didn't want to believe it, but he had to at least think about it. You know, she goes away on this trip to hang out with her cousin, She comes home pregnant, and it's the Holy Spirit. And if she's lying, he's been fooled. He's in a relationship with someone who's not pure, and he's raising another man's child the rest of his life. But then think about this. What if she is telling the truth? How many of us panicked when we found out we were going to raise an earthly child? Remember the the panic you felt? Like when when you realized that this human life was going to be dependent on you and you were nowhere near as qualified as your dad. And then you realized like your dad didn't know everything either. He just knew more than you did. Nobody's ready. But there's this, this fear that comes sometimes when you realize there's now imagine believing that you're raising the Messiah. And the responsibility and the weight you would feel. Either way, there's fear in Joseph's heart. And God doesn't want him responding to fear. God never wants you to make the decisions that you're making out of fear. If you're making a decision out of fear and not love, it can't be God's decision. It can't be, because fear is not how God accomplishes his purposes. So he says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her as your wife. In other words, I know that you're afraid. And then he answers the reason why you shouldn't be afraid. He says, for the child that she is who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, I know you're concerned. Don't be afraid. Don't act out of your fear. Act out of knowledge. Act out of revelation. Here's the revelation that you're missing that's allowing you to be afraid. It actually is the Holy Spirit's child that's within her. And so it says, and he tells him, she'll bear a son and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And it says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. I was thinking about, I was thinking about Joseph. So he he does what God asks him to do, which is to take her as his wife, which means he has to live with the accusations. They're known as the people who messed up, and did what was not supposed to be done, and he can't defend himself. They're not supposed to announce who Jesus is. There's an enemy that's looking for the Son of God. He's been looking for him since the garden when the rumor was, or when God stated that there was one coming who was going to crush his head, and every time the favor of God was upon a young Jewish child, the enemy thought, oh, this is him, and tries to kill all the boys in the Israeli households because he's trying to kill Jesus before Jesus can crush his head. And so they have to keep it quiet. And they can't defend themselves with the knowledge of what God spoke. But then I was thinking about what an amazing man Joseph is, because then it says this. It says, and he took her as his wife, but kept her a virgin until the birth of their son. What an example Joseph sets. says, of denying himself of his own right. See, it was legally okay for him to be with her once they were married. In fact, it was what was expected of him. They were supposed to be together to consummate the marriage. This was something that he had wanted, I'm sure, for a very long time. This was a desire that was placed inside of him by God. It's a godly desire. And now he is well within his rights as her husband to be with her in the way that he's longed to be with her. Instead, he says, I won't be with her yet, not until the son is born, because the prophecy said that that he would be born of a virgin. And if God is trying to bring forth his child through a virgin, I'm not going to take what I want at the expense of God getting what he wants. What an amazing example of denying yourself of something that's even legally right for the sake of what God's doing, of saying, listen, I, it's not about me getting what I want, even if it's legally right, even if I would. everybody in the world would tell me what I could and should do. God, if you're trying to bring forth your child through a pure virgin woman, I'm not going to touch her until you've accomplished through her what you want to accomplish through her because I'm more interested in seeing your plan come to be than me have my needs and wants and desires met in a moment. God, I care more about an eternal purpose than I do a momentary pleasure. And this isn't even sin. How many people will throw away What God's wanting to do for something God said not to do that isn't legally okay for them to do. And here's Joseph, this man of integrity, saying, It's well within my rights to do that. See, it's not supposed to be about right and wrong, it's supposed to be about revelation and obedience. What has God showed me, and what is my response to what God's showing me? Not trying to go to people and figure out, is this okay? Is that okay? Is this okay? Is that okay? It's not about legalistically trying to decide, am I okay doing this? It's about seeking the heart of the Father, receiving revelation from Him, and then living in response to the revelation that you've received. And Joseph says, listen, everybody in the world would tell me it's okay, but I don't feel like it's okay, so I'll deny myself while God accomplishes what God is going to accomplish. And then, and only then, will I actually do what is called of me and what's legally okay for me to do as a husband. I and mean, don't ever let what you want get in the way of what God's calling and what God's trying to do. I'm telling you, how many, think about how many times people have put what they want ahead of what God's called them to and it's not as if God's plan is ruined. He just finds somebody else. He just says, okay, it can't be you. It'll be somebody else. Because I need somebody that lives not from a right and wrong, but lives from every word that proceeds from my mouth. Because what I'm calling you to is so much higher than the question of is it sin. What I'm calling you to is to live by every word that proceeds from my mouth. Joseph is such an amazing example of this, of just revelation and then obedience. And so, so he keeps her as a virgin. And I, I, I also wanted to point this out too. It was interesting to me, and we're about to read another one here in a minute, but isn't it interesting that God used a dream to tell Joseph, Probably one of the most important things he's ever told a man. and So I'm saying this not to put a higher importance on dreams than other ways that God speaks, but I am saying in the book of Acts, one of the ways that it said that we would know the spirit of God had been poured out was that men would dream dreams and have visions. And what I am saying is don't discount a way that God speaks when God actually thinks so highly of it that when it was time to tell a man who his child was, he actually used a dream to do it. He could have used anyway. He could have physically walked into the room. He could have sent an angel to manifest in the flesh. He could have wrote on the wall. He could have had a donkey speak. He could have had a prophet come and say it. He could have done it any different way that he wanted to, and instead he chose to use a dream to communicate to Joseph who his son was and what he wanted Joseph to do. Man, I thought so well. <laughs> um, so turn ahead in your Bible real quick uh, to Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. I wrote this down, and I just want to read this to finish up that thought. There are times in our lives where we are within our rights to do something, but God is asking us to put aside our rights so that he can complete what he's begun. There are things that we want to do, and are even good things, and even in his heart for us to do, but he hasn't given us permission to do yet. Will we deny ourselves for the sake of what God is birthing so that we don't get what we want at the expense of what God wants? Is there a generation that would say, it's not about what I want, God, it's about what you want, and I'll put my wants on hold, because ultimately what I want is to fulfill the, the reason that you sent me to this earth, and I'm not going to throw away what you've called me to for the sake of something in a moment. Are there people that literally, would? When Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself, and that means, you know, that one statement makes a a, a, a huge statement, but... Are there people that literally would say, I'll deny myself when there's things that I want that would come in opposition to what I know you've called me to, even if everybody else says it's okay? Because you look at when God was wanting to bring forth his son into the earth, what he needed. He needed people that said, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the world ridicules, I'll do what you're calling me to do. At the expense of what I want, I'll give up my own selfish desires for the sake of seeing what you're trying to birth into the earth come to be. And here's the thing that Joseph didn't know because he doesn't have a King James Bible. How many people would be blessed because of his obedience? How many prophecies would be fulfilled simply because he was obedient? You have no idea the number of people that will be blessed by the simple obedience of you responding to the revelation that God gives you. You have no clue how for eternity the the, the seed of what you've done will continue to reproduce itself over and over again from simple obedience to what you know God showed you. On the same hand, we have no idea the consequence of disobedience, or we would never disobey. I'm convinced of that. If we could have our eyes open for one minute to the consequence of disobedience, it wouldn't even be an option. It wouldn't even be a choice. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. This is talking about the wise men, the magi. It says, After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Once again, what does he do? He says, listen, Herod's out to kill all the babies. Why? Because that's what the enemy stirs in the heart of the ruler whenever a child is born that has promise upon him. Think about it. Moses is born. The favor of God rests upon him. What does the Pharaoh do? Have all the babies in Israel under the age of two killed. Why? Because there's a child of promise that's been born. And it's not because it's in Pharaoh's heart. It's because it's in the enemy's heart to try to kill Jesus before Jesus can crush his head. Because he lives in paranoia and fear. That's how you know it's not from God. Any way the enemy lives, you were never called to live. You were never called to be paranoid. Never called to live in fear. That's his domain. Let him have it. The only thing you're to fear is God. And the fear of the Lord doesn't bring paranoia. It actually brings safety and a feeling of comfort. Because you understand it's hard for you. And so... So then David comes along. He has the favor of God on him. What does he do? Once again, the enemy puts it in the heart of an evil ruler to come after him and try to kill him because he's unsure of who this Jesus is going to be. But he knows he's going to come from the people of Israel. So he's trying to kill him off in his youth before he can be crushed. And so now once again, but this time I think the enemy knows because he's heard the angels sing. He's seen what's gone on. And now for the first time ever, he understands exactly who Jesus is and he knows this is the one. And I have to stop him before he can stop me. Once again, he moves on the heart of an evil ruler. And Herod says, let all the baby boys under two be killed. Why? He's trying to kill Jesus. He doesn't know who Jesus is, but he's trying to kill him. He wants him dead. And so God uses a dream to save his son's life. Could have talked to him anyway. Could have wrote it on the wall. Could have had a prophet come. Could have spoke through the cat. But he gives him a dream. It says that, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Once again, a dream. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. He remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet Out of Egypt, I will call my son. Think about the obedience of Joseph. The angel of the Lord comes and wakes him up and says to him, get up, take your wife and your child and take them to Egypt. It says, and while it was still night, they left and began their journey. Like, we want to process things and we want to talk to 17 different people. And listen, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, but when you know the Lord has spoke to you, it's not the time to try to get opinions of other people to make you feel better about it or to talk you out of it. It's time to act There's going to be times where God says, get up, go and do this. And it's not time to sit around and say, well, I got to call four people and see what they think because by the word of two or three. No, when God speaks to you in a way and you know it's him and he's very clear and he says, go do this. Joseph doesn't argue with him. Joseph, this is not convenient. Like, think about it. He's got a brand new child. He's a brand new father. He's got a teenage wife who's a brand new mother. Right now, she's surrounded by her family. The older women would help to raise the children as if they were their own. It's the easiest thing in the world for him to stay there in the comfort and safety of this home that they've built. He's part of his father's business. He knows where his next meal is going to come from. They're surrounded by friends and family. They have their customs and traditions. And the place he's calling them to is Egypt, That's the place they spent hundreds of years praying to get out of. There's going to be times in your life where God calls you to do things that don't make any sense and are completely outside of your comfort zone. But just trust that he has a purpose and that he's not sending you there just so that he can have the Bible be one sentence longer. There was a prophecy that needed to be fulfilled, but there was also a child that needed his life to be spared and he needed to be in Egypt for that to happen. And it says, this is what, what an amazing man Joseph is because he doesn't question it. Think about how easily we question God. Think about we read things in the word. We hear God's heart, and then we say, yeah, but, and we have a bunch of excuses why the word doesn't mean exactly what the word says, why it doesn't apply to my situation what you don't understand, that would make that change. Joseph doesn't do that. He doesn't say, yeah, but God, don't you know Egypt is a bunch of ungodly people and you you delivered your people from there. We're not going back to Egypt. We don't go backwards in God's army. You you know, he could have got self-righteous and indignant when we say these things. But instead he says, Mary, get up. We got to go. Doesn't even wait for the light of morning. It doesn't say, okay, God, if it's really you, wake me up in the morning and tell me again. It doesn't say, okay, God, I will. Let me go back to sleep first because it's going to be a long journey. You think God didn't know how long the journey was going to be when he told you to get up and go? He didn't say anything about sleep a little longer because there's a long journey ahead of you, Joseph. He said, get up. So what does Joseph do? He gets up. I think that honestly, There's a part of Christianity that has got so comfortable with God and made him so much of a buddy that him saying, Get up, is like a suggestion. And it means, at some point, I'd like for you to get up and possibly take a journey over to Egypt. But if not Egypt, talk to me and maybe we can discuss which country. I know, I'm serious. I honestly think that some, some part of us, if we're not careful, gets so comfortable with God and he becomes this like teddy bear, you know, friend, and because Jesus is, no, is not ashamed to call us friends, we've taken that and abused that to mean that he's still not father to be loved, feared, awed, and respected. Listen, he's not in for a discussion. There's times where he'll come to you and he'll say, let us reason together, okay? Well, then reason with him. There's other times where he says, get up and do this and go now. And I promise you, like, oh, I, I, if, I, if, if there was like, well, if there was 10 things, but if I could open the brain of Christianity in the world, this would be one of the things that I would speak directly into people, is listen to me, he's still the God that expects to be obeyed when he speaks, Amen. and that is not interested in your compromise. When he's already spoken his word, stop looking beyond that for a different way to live to justify the thing that you don't want to do. Please. Please. Let that word be him speaking. You realize the reverence that people had for God's, they wouldn't even say his name. They didn't even dare to speak his name. When he spoke, there was a reverence that came with it. This was the word of the Lord. And they were like, okay, we have to do this. Not because it's easy. Not because we necessarily want to. Not because it feels good. But because he spoke. And once he speaks, nothing else matters. Yet we've got a book full of him speaking. And we allow ourselves to reason with it. And go, yeah, but... And, well, maybe, but. I say this because the Bible says, you know, that those uh, who are your leaders watch over you as those who will give account for your souls. That doesn't mean that I'm going to answer for every dumb thing you do. It means I'm going to answer for the dumb things you do because of the things I did or didn't tell you. And so... I, I I don't know why he's got me on this so strong, but yeah. man, he's he's not Yeah, he loves us. But even <laughs> Jesus said, like, the one that loves me, it's him that obeys me. He said, And these are those that love me, they're that keep my commands. So I was just thinking about Joseph and thinking about what an example he set for his own son, Jesus. He endures the ridicule of men that don't know what he knows and don't realize what he's been called to. And he knows that their very salvation is the reason he's doing what he does but never lashes out or takes advantage of that or uses it to lord over them. Sounds like Jesus. He denies himself and puts himself and puts his own wants and desires second to the plan of God and what God's doing. There's Jesus, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from before me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Sounds a lot like his father. I know God was his father. I I understand that. But I am saying he was, Joseph was chosen by God for a reason. And I think he set an amazing example and a legacy for his family that Jesus saw growing up. And he, does, he obeys and does the hard things that are asked of him, even when it would have been easier just to stay because he values the word of the Lord and what God is doing more than his own comfort and ease. And an amazing, the most amazing part is he does all of that without any knowledge of this. We're going to take communion. This is what Christmas was about. This is why God celebrated with angels. This is why he dispatched the heavenly hosts this is why there was an amazing celebration in the sky and all of heaven was singing. It was because he saw the day that his son was born at the same time that he saw the day that his son would die upon a cross. And, and he saw his son born, which brought him great joy. And I think, because he's outside of time, he sees his son born and that fills his heart with great joy. Then he sees his son give his life in obedience and be resurrected. And then he sees a billion sons and daughters being born. Think about this. He sees billions of sons and daughters being born because he sees the moment that every single one of us, that every single person who would ever believe would come to the knowledge of who Jesus is and surrender their lives and be brought back into relationship with him through the blood of his son Jesus and his resurrection. And that's why God's celebrating. I've I've, I've talked about that before. I've often just pondered it like as as an earthly father. How could you be so happy when your son is born when you know that in just 33 short years he's going to be brutally tortured and killed on a cross? Like, just, you know, you think about it. Like, we don't know the future, but if someone came to you in the middle of your child being born and said, hey, that's amazing, I just want to let you know, about 30 years, a bunch of people are going to falsely accuse them tear them to shreds, make a mockery and a public display of them, hang them on a cross and kill them, and you're going to have to watch. Enjoy your day. That that might affect your celebration if you believed it was true. Now, what if you actually could see it happen at the same time as you saw your child born? What is your response? God's response is to celebrate and to send angels to sing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men on whom his favor rests because he's not thinking just about that one baby boy being born. He's thinking about the day that you would be born, that I would be born again because of the sacrifice, the obedience of the Christ. That's what, that's what Christmas is about. We celebrate a baby being born, but he was born with a reason. He was born for a purpose. He was born for this, that now we see that God was no longer counting their sins. It was through Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting their sins against him. It's this idea that for so long the sin of the world weighed heavily, but now Jesus comes and God is no longer holding sin against but everybody's been reconciled. He says no longer counting their sins against them but reconciling the world to himself. It's God saying, I will have what I created man for. I will have the relationship that I created you for and I will make the way for it to happen and nothing will stop me from doing and accomplishing what I came to accomplish. That's Jesus laying in a manger, vulnerable to the world, needing a mother, needing to be changed, crying, needing to be taken to another country to be safe. He grows up. And he starts to learn who he is. And the longer he's alive, the more he realizes I'm here for a reason. Every one of us was that way. You were born again. You needed milk. You needed mothers and fathers to help you see. You needed to be protected from the enemy out there. But after a while, the longer you live, the more you start to realize, wait a minute, I'm here for a purpose. And you start to realize I was born for a reason. God in the fullness of time sent me forth. And he gifted me and he put me here on earth for a reason. He hasn't abandoned me. And you grow up. And zeal for the house of the Lord starts to consume you the same way it did Jesus. And all of a sudden you realize, hey, wait a minute, there's more riding on my life than just me. There's people around me that don't know him, that he sent me here to bring back into relationship with him. And you start to realize, my decisions don't just affect me. My decisions affect a whole lot of people around me. And you start to realize, wait a minute, God's asked me to live to a higher standard. And all of a sudden, you find yourself becoming more and more like the one who gave his life for you. You find yourself, Jesus cried just like that. He did. He cried just like that. Probably at times when his mom was worried and trying to rush him out of the room. Seriously. But he didn't stay a baby. He grew up in the fear and the wisdom of the Lord. And he learned obedience to the things he suffered. Guys, every one of us, how many here Is there, let me ask this, is there anyone here who's never, ever accepted the gift that the Father gave on Christmas of forgiveness and right standing with him through the salvation and lordship of Jesus Christ? Is there anybody here who's never done that before? That to you, all these years, Christmas has just been a time to give gifts, but it's never been about the gift that was given. Anybody before we move on? because I just want to make sure if there is, we can, we can change that right now. Yeah, is there anybody else? Come on, it doesn't matter how long you've been coming to church. I prayed that this morning in the back room. I said, even if there's people who've been coming to church their whole life that know all about you, if they don't know you, God, would you draw them into knowing you? We were praying for you this morning. Is there anybody else? Yeah. Anybody else before we move on? No. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. If you're one of those two people, would you be brave enough just to stand up right where you're at, and we're going to pray. And we're going to believe that God's going to do what he said he would do. This is what he said. He says it's is simple. Listen, don't let anything keep you in your seat. I promise you, you're in a place right now where everyone wants you to stand up. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being bold enough. Listen. Listen, listen to me. This is a lifelong journey. This is only the very first step, but it's an important step. Because the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'd be saved. And literally says, "Now, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is therefore now a new creation. Behold, all things have passed and everything has become new. This is not about just saying a prayer and going back to life as normal. This is about receiving what Jesus came and lived and died for you to receive so that you could become a new creation in Christ, filled with his spirit, alive to God, dead to sin. No longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Recreated in the image of the one who created you to love you, to know you, and to be with you. That's what you're saying yes to. And that's what you're opening up your heart to receive. So if you want that, I'm not going to lead you in some prayer because the Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you'll be saved. So right where you're at, and guys, if you're around them, you can just put hands on them and pray for them real quick. We're going to pray for you, but all I want you to do is just to open your mouth and confess with your mouth what we're believing right now in your heart. And we believe that when you do your part, God does his, and he'll come inside and make you a home fit for the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God will come and take up residence inside of you. Father, I thank you for the bravery and the courage of the people standing. God, I thank you for what's happening in their life right now. God, I thank you that you're coming and you're washing everything away and that all things truly are becoming new. I thank you, God, that, that their sins have been forgiven, that they've been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, lost in the sea of forgetfulness, removed from them and from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. Father, I pray that you would come right now and fill them with your spirit. God, that they would know you, that you would put put a burning in their heart to know you. God, that life would never be the same. God, that they would today understand that they were created for a purpose, for a reason. And it's not simply to exist. I thank you for that. God, I thank you for surrounding them with godly people who will encourage them to grow in relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now we're all ready to take communion. So we'll start in the back and we'll come up to the front. We can make two lines, one on this side, one on this side. Just come up, grab your communion, and then head back to your seats on the side, and wait till we're all together, together and we'll all take it together. Yeah, come on up. If your back's to the wall, you're in the back row. That's a good word. think sometimes about the little acts of obedience and we call them little acts of obedience but just think about like the little acts of obedience of joseph and mary and the huge eternal consequences that they that they carried and you start to realize there's there's no such thing as little obedience there's no such thing as you know we, we say faithful with little you made ruler over much but the truth of the matter is is you don't get to the much without being faithful with the little so maybe the little isn't so little after all Really? If you can be faithful with a little you'll be made a ruler over much. But those who are faithful with little probably don't consider it little. They probably consider it much and give it their attention fully. You think I always use this this story to illustrate it but <clears throat> you think about David Killing Goliath starts with him saying yes to bringing lunch to his brothers. If he doesn't say yes to that little thing that he's asked to do that just seems like a, is so far below. And we could do two lines. You guys are skinny enough, I promise. Come on, you could start up this side on this side yeah, and, and just come up this way. Yeah. Even if you have to stagger a little bit, it's, you'll figure it out, I promise. No one's got cooties anyways. If you touch each other coming down, it's not gonna harm anything. Hey, aren't you glad you came to church today? He says first time he's been called skinny in a long time. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Yeah. And so 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 David's anointed king and gets told he's God's chosen and then gets sent right back out into the field to watch sheep. And he doesn't resent it. And then his dad calls him forth and says, oh, hey, by the way, I want you to go serve your brothers. These are the brothers that got overlooked by God to be king. that are fighting. And and, and, and his dad says, I want you to go bring your brothers lunch. That's a little thing. Anybody could bring food to some people. And it could have seemed beneath him if David is prideful and he could have said, You send someone else. I'm the king. I don't serve my brothers anymore. They should serve me. But he humbles himself, grabs the food, and heads towards the valley. And we all know the rest of the story. He ends up in the right place at the right time, kills the giant, he starts singing songs about him children of Israel overtake the Philistine army and destroy the Philistine army. But it all starts with David being faithful to say yes to something that seems so little. And I guess I'm saying that to say that God won't leave me alone about this thing of when he's called you to something, it's not a little thing. And obedience matters. And don't bargain with him. Don't try to get him to change his mind on his word or tell him why he shouldn't have wrote what he wrote. He knew what you were dealing with when he wrote it. And he wrote it anyway. So he said, Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. On the night he was betrayed. On the night when a man he had spent years ministering to and with would sell him for a measly pieces of silver on that night, and, 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 and on that night already knowing what had entered into the heart of Judas. I think it's amazing that he points out on the night he was betrayed because it shows not because everybody did everything right, not because everybody was going to do everything perfectly, not because everybody treated him well not because he had some mistaken idea that everything was going to be perfect, but looking out and realizing in this moment, he's going to sell me. And it is, like, again, we've read it so many times, it loses its its impact, but he's selling Jesus to be killed. You're looking at a man that you've spent your life with going, my life is worth 30 pieces of silver. On that night, he took the, the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you. And they didn't know it in the moment, but his body was literally about to be broken for them. He, he's about to be. come sin on our behalf and be beaten every time not deserving it. He's going to take the lashes on his back for our healing that we deserved. He's going to be ridiculed and mocked. They're going to punch him in the face. They're going to pull his beard out, whisker by whisker. They're going to load a heavy uh, cross onto his back and make him carry it. They're going to cruelly pound nails through his hands. They're going to break his body. It said that he was marred more than the sons of man. He's not even recognizable as a human being. And he does it because of his love for us. And they don't realize in the moment what he's talking about. There would be a day coming, though, the next time they took that bread and they tore it, that it reminded them of what they'd seen. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, every time you do this, don't forget what I went through for you so that you don't have to go through it. It's not about a a ritual. It's about a remembrance. It's about reminding ourselves of what he went through and then never allowing the enemy to put us through that because Jesus already went through it for us. That's what the body of Christ is for. So on the same night, when he had drank, or when he had ate, he also took the cup and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood for the, shed for the forgiveness of sins. He was saying to them, you guys listen, there's been this covenant in place where every year you have to shed the blood of an animal to cover the sins that were past, and you're only doing as good as the sacrifice that was last made, but there's a new covenant that's come in my blood, and this is once and for all. And when they put me on that cross, and they put those nails through my hands, and my blood drips to the ground, and the blood of, of Jesus silences forever, the blood of Abel that cried out for justice. He's saying, listen, if they'll do that to me, when they do that to me, I'll take every bit of sin, not just the people sitting here in the room, the sins of those who have come and the sins of those who will you weren't even you weren't even a thought in someone's mind when jesus was saying this yet your sin was the sin that his blood came to cover and forgive and and it's not this one time thing where where it, it just forgives the sin up to that point and then you know you got to come back and take communion again to forgive sin again no it was once for all it said what the blood of bulls and goats couldn't do his blood did once for all it forever silenced the need for justice and forever brought us into the family of God to stand before him. And there's been so many times where this verse where Paul says, examine yourselves and make sure you're worthy before you take communion, has been used to scare people into trying, making them say a prayer before they take communion or to feel like they can't take it. Listen, if your worthiness to take communion is based on your own behavior, don't take communion because that's the most unworthy way you could ever take it. The only way you're worthy to take this is because the blood of Jesus says you're worthy is because there's a Savior who lived and died and was resurrected who sits at the right hand of the Father and you're seated in him in heavenly places and because his blood forever cries out a better testimony than the blood of Abel. That's why you're worthy to take this, not because you've been good, not because you've been perfect, but because he was perfect and he calls you good. And you've accepted that and you've been washed and covered. That's the blood of Jesus. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that when none of us were worthy, God, while we were yet in sin, you sent your son to die on a cross, that you proved your love for us. And that, Father, I thank you for this amazing time when we celebrate the birth of your son and, and all the traditions that go with it. God, I pray that we would have an amazing time celebrating your son's birth. God, that right now there's people that don't even believe you're real, that are saying things out of the, out of, from inside themselves, God, that are proclaiming truth as they say, Merry Christmas, as they sing these songs that have just become part of, of our, our culture, Father. And I thank you that there's tongues that are professing and claiming and, and praising you all over the world right now because it's Christmas time. I pray that that would continue to go on. God, I pray that you continue to draw all men to you. Father, you would continue to bring hearts to yourself. I thank you for that. I thank you for this gift, this amazing gift, for the generous Father that you are, that you would give your son, and that at one point you would look at my life and his, And say, mine was worth the life of his. I'll be forever thankful, forever grateful, forever changed. In Jesus' name, amen.